men aren't born, they are made. And quite often, they are made by history, long after they're dead, twisting their story into something more palatable and easier to digest. Cincinnatus was made. He was certainly important in the time, but his story has been stitched together and edited to create a man larger than life. A man who had become an inspiration to a group of plucky men who would draw comparisons to their own great leader, George Washington. Washington was often called the American Cincinnatus for his willingness to put down weapons and resume his life of farming after the Revolutionary War. There was no Cromwellian attempt to seize power. And after the war, the society of the Cincinnati would be formed from the men who served, and one of them would eventually go on to found the city of Cincinnati and honor both of their commander-in-chief Washington and of the Roman general. Cincinnatus was born into an era where the main struggle was between the patrician and the plebeian. Livy calls this the conflict of the orders. And like the leader from our last episode, he was a patrician who strongly opposed the plebeian reforms and rights. The first time he pops up in our story, it's about his son, Queso. His son was also an opponent of plebeian reforms, and he would work to smash uprisings, even beating a man to death. For this, Queso was brought up on capital charges, and a man named Marcus Volscius testified to what he had done. So even with the character witnesses from the patricians, it seemed like Queso would be sentenced to death. Queso decided not to chance it. He got himself on bail and fled the city, which forced Cincinnatus to pay for his son's bail and left Cincinnatus destitute, only having a small farm to work. Most historians consider this part of the story an invention to heighten the trope of the reluctant and nobly poor leader that they would affect Cincinnatus with. It's especially unlikely because all of this happens a year before he becomes consul, so he probably wasn't plowing anything right then. But if we accept this timeline, Queso flew into exile, Cincinnatus served a consulship, and then returned to his small field to tend it. And that's where he worked for two years until the threat of a neighboring tribe named the Aequi brought senators to his door. The Aequi were a tribe that had existed in the region for a long time. They are the tribe that Ancus Martius borrowed the rights of the Fetiales from. And if you remember, that's the Roman method of declaring war. In the recent turmoil and revolt, the Aequi had grown expansionist and saw it as their moment to challenge Rome. There was an office in the Roman Republic called the Dictator, and this was a position that was only used in a crisis when someone needed to take the reins of Rome and control the direction of the state for a bit. Their terms were limited to six months, with the goal of stopping anyone appointed dictator from amassing enough power to try and take over permanently. It was a title that Augustus would pointedly avoid years later, when he was trying to cloak his imperium in mundanity, because of how controversial the title had been. Several senators arrived at the farm to find Cincinnatus clothed in simple garments. They recommended he change into his military regalia because the threat was now on the horizon. The two consuls that had led an army a year earlier against the Aequi had been surrounded by them and were currently being besieged. The Senate fell into a panic upon hearing this, and they searched for someone they could trust to lead the state well, 
before thinking of Cincinnatus, whose simple desires would keep him from overreaching his grasp. The senators hailed a properly clothed Cincinnatus as dictator, and Cincinnatus got to work. He showed up in the city and called on all able-bodied adult males to present themselves in the campus marshes, with rations and weapons, to go take on the Aequi who were besieging the Roman army. Cincinnatus managed to catch the Aequi off guard, and would accept their surrender, making them pass under the yoke, which was a Roman way of humiliating their enemies and would eventually be used against Romans too. He disbanded his army and returned to Rome, only pausing for a minute to force Marcus Volscius, the man who had accused his son of murder, to state that he had perjured himself when he testified. And Cincinnati relinquished power, only 15 days after getting it. This was followed by two decades of hard, noble work on his own farm, where he thoroughly established his honorable leader credentials and his simple desires, before he was called back to the office of dictator to deal with an internal struggle. There was a wealthy man named Spurius Malleus, who had noticed that he could gain quite a lot of political support by basically paying for the poor's food. He began to pass out grain and amass followers, and the Senate, understanding that they were completely unpopular, and the Senate, understanding that they were very unpopular and in a very precarious situation, called upon Cincinnatus to become dictator again. Cincinnatus accepted the role and asked his master of the horse to fetch Malleus so that he could explain himself. His master of the horse was a little overzealous with his job and wound up killing Malleus. And Cincinnatus, at that point, realized the crisis was over and relinquished his position again, which of course meant that the poor continued to have a pretty crappy life. So that's what Cincinnatus is known for, being given absolute power and not trying to turn it to his own advantage. So well known for that when Washington also refused kingship and when he refused to run for a third term in office, he was considered to be a new American Cincinnatus. Thank you all very much, and I hope you get to make history today. <laughs>